And then I realized, why am I waiting for that? Why am I waiting for someone to like tell me to do this? And so after going to sunscreen that year, I became really passionate about trying to do something, trying to make something of my own, trying to, you know, put it out and like do something with it. And I took a lot of that passion and that inspiration and I said, I'm going to do this, whether it's part of a class assignment or not. I want to do this. I want to create something and I want to, like, you know, have it out there. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the 14th episode of the Unofficial Lost Year Film Podcast. Today, it's just me, Chris, and Kenton, um, the OG trio, <laughs> the trilogy. More. Fellowship of three. Um, <laughs> 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 so, yeah. Um, today, we're going to be talking about Chris's first major production, TA, which was shot at the end of his sophomore year. Um, we figured we'd talk about this to, or go through like our own process of filmmaking when we first started, and talk about all the things that we learned after <laughs> or during um, our first um, productions. Um, this this one, as we said before, we're we'll talking about Chris, and I'll probably talk about mine another podcast. Um, but for now, um, Chris, so TA, um, do you want to give a little bit of background and information on what exactly it is? Yeah, sure. So TA is a film that I made during my sophomore year, and it was only made because I was inspired to try to make it after I went to my first film festival, which happened to be sunscreen during that year of 2016, uh, the spring of 2016. And so um, what I ended up doing is that... You're right, I think. Yeah, you're right. Sorry. (laughs) Um, It was the previous year's sunscreen that I went to. And it was in Maryland that year. And I got to see a lot of like other student films um, and more specifically student films from like, you know, sister universities and such. And a lot of the time I was watching these films, I was like, man, I can do better than that. I can make something <laughs> better than that, which, you know, then I tried to do so. And I don't know if I did that or not, but I made something. So ultimately, <laughs> the motivation for that was just I feel like I can make something and I'm going to. Originally, the story behind it was just I had a 6 to 10 p.m. class in that building. And as I was leaving that building, like the janitorial staff always like shuts off all of the lights to that building. And I'm talking like multiple corridors are just pitch black. The only thing that's illuminating it is like the exit sign kind of deal. And the there's like high ceilings and the reflection of the light bouncing off of like the, I don't know if you would say laminated ground or something. It kind of just like got me thinking about it like wow this is really terrifying if i was alone in here mm-hmm. oh, i should write a script about that and so i did um <laughs> yeah so, palmer hall is yeah. essentially like everyone considers it like a horror yeah building it's perfect that for that whole sort of thing yeah it's one of those yes. like notoriously old buildings on campus and so i just figured you know what i'm gonna try to write a story about this and so that was my first mistake um <laughs> But no. ultimately, <laughs> ultimately, I wrote a story about a TA who has to come in and try to get to do her job, you know, late at night, and she may or may not encounter things. <laughs> I think we can spoil it in here. The The video will be posted on Vimeo, right, Chris? Correct. Yeah, so mm-hmm. if you just search up Chris in, on Vimeo, um, and then you can find it. <laughs> Additionally, on my um, Vimeo, you'll also see a junior year project and my junior thesis, or my junior uh, production project as well. Nice, yeah. Um, yeah, so from this point on, I think we can spoil the film. <laughs> yeah. So it's like it came out like years ago, like what, three, four years ago now? Well, if anyone wants to like... <laughs> yeah. Spoilers alert. Uh, but if anyone wants to see it and then watch the podcast, that's probably recommended so that um, you guys know what we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> so um, anyway, so Chris, you were talking about the script um, and how you wanted to be in the location. In the location, was the script inspired by the location? Did, like, did you write the story for the location, or did like the story kind of come to you and you just applied it to the location? Oh, yeah, I absolutely wrote it to the location. That was my big mistake. And that's something I really didn't get out of until, like, honestly, my senior thesis. Um, I'm a really bad script writer because I don't write stories for stories. I write stories around an object or a location or some specific thing. 
and that's it. And that's one of the worst things that I've done is I've limited myself in script writing and storytelling to that, to a location. I don't think that's like a, necessarily a bad thing. I think they're, if you know, if you focus on it too much and you don't actually write like a story per se, if you just kind of like, if you write things, if you force things to be there, then, you know, it definitely comes across, but rather than, you know, you write a story and then think, letting themes come naturally to or to like you know person like naturally goes to this location rather than like i need this person to go here so i'll be like um you know a person forgot phone <laughs> in <laughs> this area go go to this area mm-hmm. um and there's so many ways to do that naturally but if you just like conveniently place it there i think that you know it definitely comes across as forced well, maybe that's a good question then. Like, does it, like, since you and Kenton have seen the video, does it feel like it's unnatural for the character to be in that space? No. No, I don't think so. Um, oh. I think, you well. know, you, you, did, you did write, you know, like, this is the character needs to go here because the like, teacher this, this, this that she works for yeah. wants her to do something. So yeah. it makes sense. It's, it, yeah, he didn't force her to be there just because you wanted to <laughs> so you, you explained everything pretty well i think or the, the motivation to be there pretty well oh man I, I still think that's um definitely a crush then at least if even if it worked out in one instance i think one of my biggest flaws in script writing has been uh writing it around one central thing one location one piece of uh furniture or object so me doing my skin pieces has been a <laughs> has been a growth from that i hope yeah i mean it's definitely something that i have trouble too like you know i need these two people to meet oh i'll just conveniently place them on the mountaintop and they meet there um, <laughs> <mountain> it's like <laughs> how romantic <What? laughs> oh boy you know it's, see, that's that's the thing like you need to make like make it come natural rather than like uh, I need, yeah, I like, I need these two people to meet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, party, uh, classroom, uh, you know, nah, just like they've, they've never met before. So, you know, I'll just place them at a mountaintop. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, you need to let it not be forced. Yeah, you need to have things come naturally. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you, like, you're never going to talk to someone on a mountaintop. You know, it's like, yeah, there, you, you, you guys both find your own space. <laughs> yeah. It's like you guys both mind your own space. You're gonna be like, at the closest, you'll just pass each other on the trail. It's not like, oh hey, what are you doing up here? Um, <laughs> which I definitely wrote on my senior thesis. But anyway, um, so you wrote the story, Chris. Mm-hmm. Um, how was how was planning it? You know, you're you know, it was you know, spring 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, talk us through the process. Yeah, sure. Okay, so I had been on a couple projects up to this point, and I had been on a web series before I had done this, and so I got to see like to some degree what like a smaller scale set looks like, or at least like having enough crew to be like designating roles, and like someone only does that role. So I had this like really specific mindset of how a set is supposed to look at the time and so i really wanted to do a good job and so before i really did anything i like before i did anything crew wise what i did is i just took my script and i started breaking it down okay like what do i need to get what shots do these scripts describe um so i made shot list um thinking of every possible thing that i could get or i wanted to get at the time and then looking at it now it's wow it's really sparse (laughs) um from that shot list, I then made a, an entire uh, storyboard. So that way, uh, my DP at the time, who was Eric, who was you know very kind to lend me his talents, um, <laughs> yeah, I wrote out a whole storyboard so I could uh, so he could see it, and then uh, we just kind of talked about how we were going to go about filming it, uh, how we we're going to light things, made a really rough lighting plan, and then from there, I did uh, casting. And I found my actor, who was a good friend, Sarah Leong, who said she'd be willing to do it. And then from there, I just gathered the rest of my crew who I thought I needed. And looking at my call sheet now or looking at my total crew list, you know, I'm pretty proud of like being able to gather that many people for my first big project, so to speak. Right. 
Yeah. It so it was it was shot uh like essentially in the evening times, almost at like you know six, seven, eight o'clock to like midnight, right? Mm-hmm. Or for the first couple of days at least, right? So it was, yeah. it was shot on a Tuesday, a Wednesday, and then I think you planned for the Sunday. So yeah, three days initially planned. Yeah, right. and then we added. We ended up adding an extra day, I believe, um, mm-hmm. because we needed some extra stuff. But um, ultimately, that gave me my first experience of asking for a location. I'm like, oh, I would really like to film in this building. Who do I need to talk to to get this space, right? And so I figured out, okay, well, if I talk to the department, the department will at least point me in the direction of who is responsible for the space. And yeah, that was my first real like time I had to get a location. So I had to figure out who do I need to talk to, who can point me in the right direction, talk to that person, get permission. And at the time, I didn't need to get like... Um, I didn't need to get any type of permits or paperwork done. I just needed to ask for permission at the time. So I got that. And it was my first opportunity of being like, hey, here's this project I'd like to do. Could you give me permission to do this? Here's what I want to do. And, and you know, usually if you bring everything that you're going to do and your intention and everything, you have a higher chance of getting a yes to you. And at the time, they, uh, the person in charge of the building was very kind to allow me to do so. So that was an interesting first time. Were there any like troubles or issues uh, in the pre-production process? Um, I think I was, I think the biggest thing that came in pre-pro was I I showed this to my production professor because I really wanted to do it correct. You know, like I had this idea in my head, like, oh, as long as I check all the boxes, I'm good, right? Um, It came as more of like a creative like critique more so than a, you know, process critique. And Mm. I had some, I received some like pretty heavy critique from her saying that I don't think that this is going to be good because I don't think you casted the right person. In which my mind, I was like, no, you're absolutely wrong. Like that, I think this passes totally. And I asked some of the rest of my crew, I asked other people and pretty much everyone disagreed with her. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go with what I think is correct. But that was really the first time I'd ever really received like critique, so to speak, on something that I was doing before the process. And so I could have been very, it could have been very different. I just, you know, accepted what she wanted me to do. And then it probably would have been a different film. Or I could have just done what I did and trusted what I had done and trusted the opinions of other people more so than that person and got the film that I got. So it was a weird first encounter with like balancing critiques before I had even begun the process of filming. Nice. And in in the film, there's a little bit of effects in there with um, blood and texting. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, how did you how did you plan that? So I had known that I had wanted to do a little bit of blood because I had written the scripts to include that to some degree. One of the other students uh, had done some blood makeup and stuff beforehand and so I asked her if she'd be willing to do it again for my film and she'd be like yeah okay absolutely no problem and so we had some practical effects done Um, we prepared all of the ingredients that we needed we mixed it on the day and then we did different consistencies to try to get it you know correct and where I wanted it to be so that was really fun like experimenting with practical effects or like envisioning in my head okay I want this thing how do I get there okay this person has that talent because I've seen them do it before if I ask, maybe they'll do it. They did. They wanted to. It was really fun. Got that practical effect. And then on the post side, I realized that I was missing a lot of story. Like there was a lot of things that were just unsaid. Like there was nothing like really there <laughs> in the script <laughs> when I originally wrote it. And so I was just thinking to myself, I'm like, how the hell do I make this work like how do i tell a story where there's this one character in a building she doesn't talk to anybody the whole time and she's on her phone oh wait i can just put in text message change that sounds like a good idea i'll tell the story through her texting somebody else about why she's here and so i looked up a youtube tutorial on how to do perfect <laughs> text you know messages and here's the funny thing that same tutorial actually helped me with my current senior thesis project, but it's much more refined this time. <laughs> mm. So that, that's a that's a lesson on how you can take something you learned in the beginning and then apply it much better, you know, years down the line. Mm-hmm. But um, 
it was one of those first experiences where I was like, I don't know how to do something. And I don't know how I'm going to tell this story. And then I figured out, oh, wait, I can do this. I'm going to go learn from somebody else who's given me a tutorial, who's given me help. And I'm going to try to copy that and put this on my video. And boy, was that the first time I had to learn about keyframes. And those are difficult. <laughs> oh, um, yes. But, uh, you know, just to like, for like future cast that that helped me immensely when I got to my senior thesis, because I was much more confident that I could put that into my story and writing it in was a lot easier for me. And then obviously doing the work was a lot easier to me since I had had the practice beforehand. Kenton, do you have any questions regarding pre-production? Um, when you were making the fake blood, what did you use? Um, you're going to have to ask Malachi about the specifics, but I remember that there was cocoa powder and maple syrup, I think. Hmm. And one other thing, I, I forget what it is, but it, it's all like non-toxic stuff. It's all stuff mm -hmm. that you can get over the counter that's like really, you know, fine. It, like even if you mixed all of it together, it, nothing happens. Yeah. So I was just it's just wondering. getting the color right. Mm -hmm. I was wondering because um, I made fake blood before for one of the videos I shot with Callan. And we use dish soap and food coloring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's hard to like sell the viscosity and like how it's supposed to interact with other things and the color and all that. So there's, there's a million and one good fake blood recipes. It's just finding one that really works for what you're doing. Yeah. All right. So moving on to production. Day oh, one, yeah. Chris, do you remember what happened? Um, I remember I showed up late. <laughs> um, I don't remember why I showed up late specifically. All I remember was the anxiety and the fear of being like, well, shit, I'm here late to my own production. And this is the <laughs> first thing I'm doing. Oh, God. And that's when I learned, hey, maybe I shouldn't have waited till the day of to pick up all the props. <laughs> so that was a big lesson. <laughs> um, and then I, I think also... We ran into a security guard who was not on board with us filming in that location, even though I had, you know, submitted a request and paperwork and, you know, everything to get to film in that location till midnight. Um, that was a time where it was really tricky because I'm like, I submitted everything I could have. I gave all my information to the right people. I got confirmation from all the right people. And then we had a security guard who wasn't in the loop who was like, no, absolutely the hell not get that, get out. <laughs> and so we, I think we had to cut production short by like an hour. Wow. So on top of me showing up late, we had to cut production short by an hour. And I think we were trying to film for like six hours or something. So that was not a fun time. Yeah. That sounds like a very rough first day. <laughs> a really think... rough first production, in my opinion, too. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember walking down, I think it was from History of Cinema. I was walking down the parking lot, uh, and and you mentioned told, mentioned to me that you could you couldn't shoot, but I was like, oh, I have class. But I think I got it around eight or nine o'clock, and I was like, hey guys, I'm here. Need any help? <laughs> and I was like, you know, you guys were like, yeah. So I hopped on board. At least that day, I think I was scheduled to be on the other days, but yeah, you were. I think was was that was the first day the day that the gym was set up outside. Um, let me double check that call sheet because I think it may have been. Uh, da, 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 da. Yes, it was. That was the first day we did the jib shot too. Yeah, so I think you guys were outside and I think I was like, hey, I'm here. <laughs> um, yeah, and that was when Brendan was a freshman. That was fun. Yeah, man, that was crazy. Um <laughs> I need to check my list to see how many productions I've worked on before your When you were shooting, did you um, try to shoot it in order or? Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did learn uh, in class. This is one of the things I did learn is that if you're going to shoot something production wise, you should probably start with the thing that's hardest just because it's going to kind of set the tone for how everything else goes, but also mm -hmm. because it's going to take the most time and most energy to do. And so it's better if you invest it on the front end than on the back end. You're trying to like, because at least then you can, you can, you know, shuffle other things around that are least important. But mm -hmm. if you're trying to shuffle around something that's insanely difficult and time consuming at the very end of your shoot, you're just going to be rushing to get out of the 
whatever space you're in and that's not safe or you know good for your film at all <laughs> definitely yeah i think before um your shoot chris i was just working on other films i'm not sure whether white hats was after that or before yeah or at the same time but i think it was a little bit over spring break if i remember correctly but i don't know um <laughs> anyway so uh so who who do you have uh in your crew and cast oh man that is okay so i actually went to look this up because i honestly had forgotten everyone that had been you know <laughs> part of that and that's a horrible thing to hear but at the same time it's been like years <laughs> yeah <laughs> um i definitely know that the first person i talked to to join my crew was eric hardy because he was someone who was very much a mentor to me at that time because he and i had also worked on the web series together at summer and so I figured, hey, who better to talk to than someone I already know, someone who, you know, is willing to talk to me and listen to me and all this other jazz. Um, so he was definitely the first person I asked to get on board. Um, after that, I had my AD, who was Maliki, and Melissa, who was at the time also a student worker. Um, let's see, who else did I have? I had you, Brendan, as my cam op. I had I was more of an assistant camera. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At the I think this was the first day I'm looking at. Yeah, it was. And yeah, after that I do think you changed to count uh assistant camera and everything. After that yeah, no idea what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> um after that, let's see here. I had Brad and Summer on that project. Um as my Crips and Gaffer. And then I had Jonathan Thomas from the business school as my sound and Greg as well, I think came in to help us record some of that, some of that. Yeah. Kevin Spire also was there, my brother and my brother was there to script supervise. And then Ariel Lynch, who was uh, also a freshman at the same time as me. So that was all of our cast. Or sorry, that was our yeah, but you guys. Yeah. You guys were sophomores at that time. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um. And then for our cast, I remember asking Sarah Leong because she was a friend of mine and she was someone who was really helpful and really like, you know, supportive of wanting to do something. And so I just figured, hey, she's I've seen her do other stuff like this before. Why don't I ask her? And I did. And she's like, yeah, totally. Why not? So I asked her to be a part of that. And then another sophomore um, was Zyra, who decided who I asked to be um, another role. And then our big reveal person I asked to be uh, was Chad Osborne, who also was my <laughs> actor. And then uh, on the day that we did the big scene, there was also, we needed a body. And so I couldn't actually find a cast person for that. And so I ended up asking a friend, uh, like a boyfriend's friend. Yeah. <laughs> a boyfriend's friend. <laughs> yeah. To, to just like, hey, can you just lay here? And he's like, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah so you asked one of the people's boyfriends yeah so boyfriend. I, I, she was unlisted she was i don't know why she was there to be honest but she was unlisted and she just decided to hop on and it was fine to me um her name was jackie she ended up doing a lot of set deck for us which is really nice um she jumped on and her boyfriend was there too for some reason and then he just i asked him if he'd be a body and he's like yeah sure no problem <laughs> So it was weird how much underprepared things I did, but also how many things worked out. Mm -hmm. So, and then also to like to top off the crew and everything, I think on the last day um, or on the pickup days on the weekend that I needed, um, our resident John Wong was gracious enough <laughs> to help me film it. <laughs> and he honestly think... helped me with a lot of um, very specific shots that, uh, that I needed to uh, you know, supplement what I already had. Yeah, I think the the story behind that was he was he came to do the steady cam shot, mm -hmm. I think, and then, um, well, they always help with steady cam, and Eric, Eric, he and Eric was like, I don't know. Um, John asked Eric if he wanted to be the op, um, mm -hmm. or the the camera op for the steady cam, and Eric was like, Well, you're already in the suit, and you already did one, you want to keep doing it. John was like, okay. He just kind of flew around <laughs> Palmer Hall in the hallways. Um, no, I think that was the birth of his steady cam obsession. Um, it might have been like, I think he was obsessed before that because you know, he did promo <laughs> videos for last year with steady cam. Yeah, that's true. Um, but I 
think because Eric couldn't make the Monday, um, you asked John to, um, if he was free and he came on to, yeah, um, continue DPing <laughs> and finish yeah. up the shoot. Yeah, it was really nice to have multiple people who were willing to do that and to kind of help because it was something that I hadn't really thought about. I'm like, oh, well, what do I do when a crew member is only available for half the days or three-fourths of the days or something? What am I going to do? And so him kind of being Definitely. there and being willing to jump in that role was really helpful. And especially as like a young filmmaker, I'm like, wow, I should have planned that better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have a couple of things I want to touch upon with production, but Kenton, do you have any questions um, before um, I speak about? Uh, I'll go after you. Okay, awesome. So... Um, Chris, there's three things that like I want to touch upon, like I just said. One of those being um, the closet scene. Um, oh, God, yeah. Talk about that. Yeah, so I um, I wrote in the script that she's that my actor and my character is supposed to go into this like supply closet for all of these like lab materials, and she's supposed to get a bunch of boxes and you know leave and go do setup for whatever she needs to do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I was thinking to myself, I'm like, oh, I only need the physical representation of what that is. So I, bun- I had a bunch of Amazon boxes. And so I'm like, oh, cool. I'll just tape those up again, and then I'll use those. And when they're, when they're not interacted with, they're fine. They look totally fine, right? The second they look in, they, she starts interacting with them, it doesn't pass at all because there's no weight in them. It's just like, you know, empty boxes that she's supposed to be carrying, and it's supposed to be heavy and full of stuff. And there's nothing. Like, it's just no weight. And so it doesn't make any sense to see her like carrying these boxes and she was like stack them up and everything mm-hmm. and that was something that in post i'm like oh damn oh man that doesn't make any sense and then also like obviously and there was some shots where it's like oh yeah that's clearly the amazon logo <laughs> i don't think uh, amazon logo is really the problem but at least when we when we shot the closet do you remember which space that was yeah we shot that in the edit bay oh really we used we just used the door frame and since you know we the walls had been uh, unpainted or stripped or something at the time it looked like it could just be some random supply closet so I'm like oh that's oh. perfect let's do that oh I see and, it now yeah and yeah, um, I think it's the exact same at least painting wise but I remember Eric mm-hmm. spending a lot of time trying to make sure that like no light was cast on the walls and there was like only like a very dim light coming through so that we could like shoot through the boxes and make it look very um, confined yeah. in that space. Mm-hmm. But it was like, when we were there, I was like, oh, that's kind of pretty, pretty open. You did a good job of that. Thanks. I uh, can't really take much credit for that. It was mostly Eric who helped with that. And also the lighting. I remember we had this really complicated lighting setup for that where like we had to like time her approaching with the timing of her flicking the switch on because obviously her flicking the switch does not turn on all of our lights so we Mm -hmm. had to like time it because some of the lights we're using had like a startup sequence and so we would just have to like wait 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 hit the power strip boom oh my gosh we nailed it (laughs) yeah i think i was actually the one that was that had to flick on the light i think you were i think that's where i think i think that's where my uh, timing of sky panels came in because i I don't know if you use the sky panel but it just seemed because like right now I can like flick on a sky panel and then I know like, you're right when it's about to come on. So I think that might have been the area. <laughs> I think we were definitely using L7s. I don't know if we were using a sky panel or not, but I know we were using at least the L7s. Yeah, maybe. But I don't know. The L7s don't have a very long delay. on. Yeah. On but yeah, that was, that was a really power. complicated lighting setup for a fairly simple scene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nice. Um, and then the second thing I want to talk about is the the tripping scene in the hallway. Oh, yeah, that was fun. Um, I think, okay, so this was something that was interesting because usually when you think of stunts in a film, right, you think of like, oh, these big Hollywood things where people are like flying off buildings or doing whatever. No, tripping's a stunt. Like mm-hmm. your actor can get hurt like by tripping. Like You can get hurt by tripping or just like, you know, stumbling over something, right? That's technically a stunt. And so I was, I didn't prepare enough for that at all. Like I didn't have a crash pad. I didn't think about, oh, how is she going to fall and do this multiple times? How is her foot going to like do this or whatever? Like I did not plan this out at all. And in retrospect, mm-hmm. she could have just been like, yeah, I'm not comfortable doing this. So I'm not going to do it. And I couldn't do anything about it if she said that. 
And so, you know, in retrospect, I'm like, hmm, should have planned for that better, which is kind of like the theme <laughs> of this whole project. Yeah, I remember um, on the day it was tricky trying to figure out how we're going to cover it because I think in your initial plans and your shot list, you had it in one shot. Yeah. Um, but then to make it safe for Sarah, we did it into two where one would be on the foot to show what she slipped on. And then the second would be her crashing upon um, the floor, but starting from like not like a high up position, of course, just like starting yeah. on her knees or yeah. whatever. It was one of those things where on the day I had other people who were much more experienced than me be like, yeah, we can't do that, dude. Like that's, she's going to get hurt. <laughs> and I was just like, damn it, you're right. I'm sorry. But, you know, it, it, that's the other thing that was interesting to me. That's where I first kind of learned about kind of creating more shots on the fly or kind of adapting to the, the problem that you have at hand, but trying to do it safely and securely for other people so that way they're comfortable doing it multiple times. I think mm -hmm. we had like her slip, I want to say at least three or four times, like in the, <laughs> in the, uh, just the foot. And then the other shot, we had her do a couple more times, but she would fall into someone. And I think mm. she fell into John pretty much every time because <laughs> John was the only one who could catch her. So yeah, I think he was only had like three hands or something, but yeah. I, I remember her powering through it a couple of times. I think she like did one like completely. Yeah. Like she, she did. committed to it. And you were like, oh my gosh, are you okay? And she was like, <laughs> yeah, I'm fine. Um, yeah. Did so you ever? Yeah. Did you ever think about shooting that in reverse and kind of having her like get up from the ground instead of like falling into the ground and then just reversing it in post. I, I don't think that ever crossed my mind um, to be honest. And I don't know if that would have worked either, to be honest, because I've mm -hmm. never tried to do something in a reverse process. So I really, I don't think at the time I would have known how to do it. Mm -hmm. um, but no, I didn't really think about that, but that's a good, that's a different solution to a problem that we had. I'll be right back. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> Well, Kenton, since we're going to cut pretty much all of this silence out, what do you want to talk about? <laughs> I'm just enjoying like talking about this because I have it going through on my computer. Oh, this is on my iPad. I'm just noticing so much more while talking yeah, about it. Yeah, there's a lot of weird stuff that I tried to do and didn't do. Um, like the boxes thing, I really see now that you mentioned it. Like, oh, right. How can someone carry that many boxes that are full? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense because, like, even if it's like full of like, let's say, just like glass beakers or something, right? Like, you yeah, would hear the glass; weight. it would still mm -hmm. be heavy. Like, it doesn't make any sense how she interacts with it. So, <laughs> yeah, it was it was a really it, it, there's a lot of things I figured out in post. I'm like, wow, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Maybe she's just like super strong. <laughs> yeah, she just jacked, dude. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh yeah there's really a lot like, of other stuff mm -hmm. i like the opening shot too of just palmer hall yeah Looks i like think it sets it up very symmetrical it reminds yeah. me of something that um wes anderson would have because like mm -hmm. his love of symmetry yeah or um kubrick with his yeah, love no, of symmetry actually... i'm back um <laughs> 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 so okay Chris, uh, so the thing i want to talk about um you're trying to go through like slightly increasing the dutch angle throughout the entire thing i don't know if that came across um or was or was a successful thing in the end but um what was your intention behind that yeah so when i wanted to do this project i really was trying to think about all of like the advice i'd heard from people about like oh how do you do something frame something shoot something with lighting and with the frame and with all that to kind of like go along with whatever you're trying to tell a story about and since i wanted to tell a horror story thriller story kind of deal i wanted to kind of like like jack up the anxiety and so uh, one of the things i like talked about with my dp was hey what if we you know took a you know a still frame we started a really symmetrical flat frame right and then slowly over the course of the film we just increase the dutch angle Till uh, it, you know, until you kind of see it at the climax, where it's just like completely like her walking uphill kind of deal. And the intention behind that was to hopefully like boost what was there. But I was talking to Kenton about this about how my focus on like all of these like little niche things that it was supposed to help you know, to help you know the anxiety and the feeling of the story. 
I focused on way too much and I missed a lot of the key story points that I was trying to get because I was so focused on like, oh, well, if I just do this little thing, it'll make it better. Yeah, I think, um, you know, that's definitely something to keep in mind. And I think uh, the jib shot, if I remember correctly, was actually done with like the with doing uh, England on the other side instead of like oh, yeah. the side that we we're continuing doing. So I think <laughs> that was kind of funny. It was like, so oh, funny. You just try to mirror it. You know? <laughs> um, yeah, that was the solution to that because when we had set up the jib and put the camera on, we like were looking at it through the monitor and we're like, oh, yeah, this looks great. And then it wasn't until like afterwards or something that we realized, oh, wait, this is the wrong tilt direction. This doesn't make any sense to the way that the film is going. <laughs> so in the final product of it, you'll just see a flipped mirrored version of that location. But to anyone who doesn't know that location, yeah, it could work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did you notice it, Kenton? Notice that it was mirrored? Yeah. No, I thought it was just the normal looking building. Ooh. <laughs> Success. Yeah. Because I was just like, uh, it, I mean, it looks normal enough. Wait, yeah. let me check. Do you have any questions regarding production, Kenton? Um, yeah, I was wondering how you, um, how did you come up with finding Chad as your uh, bad guy? Um, your he, yeah, here, here's a simple fact. Um, he was tall mm -hmm. and he had a mask and he was willing <laughs> to do it for me. And that's all pretty you much need. it. Pretty much it. <laughs> yeah, because it's not like he has a huge role of like anything other than being creepy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we were Chad yeah does the whole acting, but mm -hmm. yeah, we were like we were trying to find like we were trying to paint the mask ahead of time, but the the material of the mask was so like non porous and so slippery that it wouldn't like nothing would adhere to it. No paint would adhere to it. No blood would adhere to it. And we just ended up going with what we had because we were running out of time anyways. So. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any more questions regarding production, Kenton? Um, I was just wondering how you came up with the idea for the Dutch, like, shot throughout. Like, did you come up mm -hmm. with that during production or before? Uh, we we planned it. Um, what ended up happening is that uh, when I was talking with my DP and like after he read the script, he kind of like threw this idea out there like, well, what if we take this, you know, tool that we learned in class about, you know, shooting off, you know, um, off angle or whatever. And why don't we just kind of keep jacking it up as this time progresses to kind of like accentuate what's already happening. Um, and so we it was definitely something planned. Did it work out in the end? Eh. But, you know, it was an experiment. It was something that we wanted to try, and we did. And whether it succeeded or not, we learned from it. So, mm -hmm. Definitely. And um, so you had to do reshoots, Chris. Um, yes, we did. <laughs> why? <laughs> um, well, I think the main, the main reason I thought, found that we had to do reshoots was because I overworked my crew. Like, that is something that has been, unfortunately, like, repeated in future projects. But when I remember vividly that during one of the breaks that we had, that people just, like, dipped. Energy just crumbled and disappeared. And I think it was one of the first couple of shoot days that that happened. And it was really, like, disheartening because I'm like, oh, man, I'm, I'm really pushing these people to work and to do these things. And they're really doing me a favor by even being here because I wasn't paying anybody at the time. All I provided was, like, crafty and stuff, right? um so we had to do a lot of reshoots one because there was a lot of like continuity issues here and there but there was also because there was a lot of um there was a lot of like difference difference in level of performance that wouldn't match up and also just because like we figured that there was a lot of benefit in being selective about trying to improve certain things like when we when i went to go figure out what do i need to shoot again when i looked at all of the stuff that i already had i picked out very specific scenes that I'm like, okay, this can be better, this can be better, this can be better. All right, let's do that. Definitely. I think, you know, it, it, it was good that you were able to do reshoots because then, you know, it wouldn't be what it is. And, you know, reshoots are important to recognizing what you need to improve on where you didn't get. And, mm -hmm. you know, scheduling reshoots too are also very hard. But yeah. You managed to do it. <laughs> Uh, it should be noted that the reshoot days had a much, 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 much smaller crew of people to help me. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, what we I were think, able to do yeah. was also 
different. Yeah, I'm, you know, I wasn't available, I think, for that reshoot day. And I think I remember John saying that, you know, for him to take over as, as DP, it was a little difficult because he didn't know um, the exact intention that Eric had in mind. Yeah. And um, I, well, I think they probably did the best to communicate, you know, there's a different style switching DPs halfway through. Um, yeah. You know, it definitely comes across. Mm-hmm. I think on, on my end as an assistant camera helping Eric, you know, it was definitely like a little opening, eye-opening to me <laughs> on what I didn't know because I was just like, oh, how do I set up this this monitor? <laughs> I was like, oh man. And because your our monitor was not wireless, it was all done through HDMI. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was tricky. It was like, uh, 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 so I guess we just you know run the cable around the corner and then Eric can take a look at it. <laughs> uh, because I think, yeah, I think that was probably my first time pulling a monitor and trying to set it up, and I didn't know anything. I was just like, uh, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? <laughs> so it was definitely learning for me, and I was glad to um, work with Eric on that. I think that was kind of probably what um led him to ask me to help on melody mm-hmm. um even though i didn't know what the heck i was doing um, at the time <laughs> i definitely learned a lot um you know i was just like you know doing these you know <laughs> uh you know your phone chris that led me mm-hmm. to be helped with linda so i was like yeah <laughs> i think something that i can't overstate is that like every time i've made a film i've learned so much more than i did before i had made the film like and i'm talking like the pre-pro, the production, and the post-production, and then ultimately hope publishing it and all that. Like, there's a lot that you get, and you kind of like evolve your learning and evolve what you can like possibly digest by just going and doing it. Like, I cannot state how much like stuff I like took from this project and tried to apply to my other projects. All right. Um, so, Chris, <laughs> um, <laughs> what, what was your post-production process like? Um, it was weird to be honest because this is really the first film that was like a film that I'd cut together. This wasn't like some like promotional video or like chapel thing or whatever. It was like, okay, this is a story that I wrote and we made and okay, now I have to figure out how to put it all together. And when I first started trying to edit it, I learned very quickly how important file management is because, oh boy, if I did not know what I was looking at, it made it a lot harder to work with it. So that's where I had to learn about labeling files, labeling, you know, everything, backing it up multiple places. Cause at the time I only had one hard drive. So I had the computer uh, that I was working on, but I couldn't store it locally. I had to store it, you know, on a drive because that, that was like the rule and everything. So I stored it on the drive, brought it home to my, my home computer, stored it on there multiple times and then put it back on, and, you know, and then took the drive back and kept editing. So it was a really weird process because at the time I didn't have like the entire Adobe cloud software. Like the only thing that was available to me was the school's, um, was the school's computers and everything. So I would have to like plan my day. Okay. I'm like, I'm going to go edit now. I'm going to go edit for this amount of time and I'm going to take my project, bring it over there, edit it, bring it back to my home computer, put a copy on there. Okay. Do that again. Do that again. Do that again. And I don't remember how long it exactly took me. Um, but it took me long enough to edit this down to something that I was like comfortable with. And then eventually I would, you know, get critique from it. And then I would put it out to, um, I'd give it back to Eric to color. And then eventually it got back to me. And then it was a whole process of trying to figure out music and sound because in case you, you know, in case you don't know, horror is so much more based (laughs) around sound than other films. Like you create an environment through lighting but you also create an environment through sound and it was something that was really hard for me to figure out and put my head around because i had never done this before i didn't know what to do with it um and so what i ended up doing was i ended up asking a friend kevin spire to like help me figure out what the what was um what to do with this and this was kind of like at the beginning of his film mixing you know processing career so he and i were both kind of like going into this like I think we can make this work. I think this will be okay. Um, but there was a lot of 
extra recording or supplemental recording for sound effects and for Foley things that we try to do and music. There's a lot of other stuff that we try to figure out because she's listening to music and we wanted to kind of like have that kind of bleed out a little bit to kind of like show how empty she is in this space. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it was a weird process of trying to figure out all this stuff and try to learn about, oh man, there's so much more work to do on the post side of things other than just editing. It's you know getting mm-hmm. the edit right, getting the color right, getting the sound right, getting all of that unified together. Okay, now that it's all unified together, redoing some of my effects Okay, now that that's there. Okay, now I got to put it out. There's there was so much I learned from that process, and honestly, it was made so much easier by asking other people. Hey, what do I do? Can you help me with this? I have no idea what to do here. Please help me. <laughs> <laughs> what was where did you release it to? Um, we actually had this Riverside Horror Showcase, which had um, which had a few films from RCC, UCR, and then. Um, I think, I don't know if I was the only film or one of two films or something, but La Sierra had like something in there, but it wasn't like comparatively a lot to the other schools. And so for that, it was just, hey, we're going to show a bunch of horror films that students made around this area, you know? So I submitted to that. They asked for a very specific file and, you know, the codec and everything. And I'm just like, I don't know what that is. What do I do? So <laughs> I had to look <laughs> Do you remember what codec it was? I think it was just like a Rec 709 or something or like an Apple 4 or Pro 422 or something. But yeah, yeah, so I had to learn about that and I'm just like, I don't know what this means. What the hell is this? <laughs> <laughs> so once again, yeah. another learning experience <laughs> and uh, submitted it to them. They accepted it. I got to go to um, downtown Riverside where they premiered it in this theater that I think UCR owns. Um, and we watched it. And man, it was a lot better than some films. And I think in my opinion, it was the only story amongst all of these other ones. But you know, that was me back in that time thinking that. So I don't know if that actually is true. Now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was something that was kind of refreshing almost because like being able to like compare my work that I had done against other people around my age doing the same kind of thing was really helpful because I'm like, wow, they did this way better than I did. Wow. They did that way worse than I did. Wow. They put all of their money into costume and wardrobe and there's no story here. Wow. (laughs) That sucks. No, (laughs) no, like, you know, not to sound like too aggressive and mean or anything, but Mm -hmm. when you're really there critiquing other people that are supposed to be doing the same vein of things that you are, you notice a lot more of the things they do wrong than a lot Mm -hmm. of the things that you did right. It's a really weird mindset that I had when I was like watching all of this, but I took a lot of what I learned from that and I tried to apply it to other films in the future. But it was so helpful to be able to compare my work against someone else's. Mm-hmm. Do you have any questions regarding post-production, Kenton? Yes, I was wondering if you were the only editor on this. Yes, I was. Um, oh. Because I didn't know what it meant to give your edit and your stuff to somebody else, which... It's something I still haven't been able to like fully do, to be honest, or like I've never had the opportunity to give my work to someone else yet um, mm. and just have them edit it, which I think I encourage people to do that because I really think there's a lot of benefit of seeing someone else's perspective in the pieces that you give them, because especially mm. after being so involved with this project, like, you know, pre-production, production, and then now you get so much tunnel vision of like, okay, the story can only be this way. This can only mean this thing. This cut has to come here, not here. And you kind of lose a lot of the potential that the story could, uh, the story could be. And so I would highly encourage anybody uh, who's wondering about it for your first student film, you should probably edit it yourself, but you should Mm -hmm. also learn what it's like to collaborate with an editor and actually see what they can do with your story. (laughs) Definitely. I think that is something that is extremely valuable, especially for a director and a producer to have someone that can bring their own ideas to the table and work their way through it. Um, so, that, you know, like you said, like, so you're not like stuck with one idea all the way through. Mm-hmm. So Chris, you shot this film in your second year. Um, I did. You did it outside of class. Yep. Why? Um, honest. Okay. So after going to sunscreen that year and like seeing all these other films and which to me, it was like, Oh my gosh, these are amazing. Um, 
I realized that I hadn't made anything yet. Like I literally just my entire first year in college, I hadn't made any type of film or narrative driven thing that I was, you know, I would consider would be a film, to be honest. I made like promotional stuff. I had done like highlight stuff. I hadn't done anything that was like my own story that I want to put out. And I realized that it's because I wasn't assigned to that, so to speak. Like my classes that I was taking did not assign that type of thing because that wasn't the point of those classes. And then I realized, why am I waiting for that? Why am I waiting for someone to like tell me to do this? And so after going to sunscreen that year, I became really passionate about trying to do something, trying to make something of my own, trying to, you know, put it out and like do something with it. And I took a lot of that passion and that inspiration. And I said, I'm going to do this, whether it's part of a class assignment or not, I want to do this. I want to create something and I want to like, you know, have it out there. And so I did. It was one of those things that you kind of get this like obsession over or like, I really want to do this thing. I really think that I can do this and I want to do this and I think it'll be fun. And I think I'll learn a lot from it. You just kind of become obsessed with doing it that there's no other thing that's going to stop you from making something. And I think that's something that I kind of lost and I'm trying to figure out again, like finding that hunger to keep doing stuff is really really important when it comes to being a creative but also like having the discipline to do it in spite of not feeling that so kind of a mm -hmm. weird answer yeah definitely i think it's definitely valid mm -hmm. if you had to do it all over again what would you do differently <laughs> um with the knowledge i have right now i would plan a hell of a lot more than i did i at the time had thought I overplanned. At the time I thought I was overprepared. And at the time I thought I was gonna knock this out of the park and I was so confident in myself that I was gonna do it. Um, I'd approach it with a lot more humbleness. I would plan a lot more in advance. I would get a lot more things ready in advance, props, you know, shot lists, lighting setups. I would ask for a lot more help than I did. And I would try to honestly focus more on the story. I lost so much of the story by focusing so much on the technical things or on the checklist of like boxes that I thought made a good film. And I focused so much on that that I didn't really focus on writing the story or filming the story or editing the story. And I, it was really hard to swallow that pill in the edit and realize, wow, I didn't do that. So ultimately, I would have prepared a heck of a lot more. I would have been a lot more humble and asked for a lot more help. I would have focused way more on the story. And I think ultimately I just needed to like, just go and do it. Because if I didn't do it like I did before, I think I would have been a worse product. Nice. Kenton, do you have any last questions or final thoughts? Um, well, it makes me want to go back to school. <laughs> just seeing school again. It makes me miss it. <laughs> oh. Chris, do you have any last thoughts or anything um, to say? My only big regret with it is that I didn't do it sooner. I think I learned a lot more from doing that film than I had learned from classes up to that point. And I think that film is really what helped me conceptualize the possibility of doing other films later down the line. So the sooner you work on something, the sooner you make something, the sooner you do something, the more you can conceptualize what's possible for you to do later. So go and do something. That's it. Thanks again to Chris and Kenton for joining me on the podcast today. You can find TA on Chris Sin's Vimeo account. Just search up Chris Sin on Vimeo or do vimeo.com slash Chris Sin. T-H-R-I-S-S-I-N-N. -S -S -I, -N -N. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and you listen to more.